And this is View the Valley's podcast, episode 29 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you doing? Oh, doing well. Just trying to you know get ready here for New Year's Eve, a different kind of New Year's Eve, and uh, enjoy the holiday with some you know very close family, no extended family uh, activities for the most part this week. But uh, you know, conference season has started, so there's that as well. So it's been enjoyable. How about you? How's your uh, holiday season going? It's going good. Yeah, enjoyed the time with family uh, this past week. Had a good Christmas. Uh, got a flat screen television as a gift Ooh. so looking forward to getting that that set up probably get that mounted on the wall here in the next couple of weeks um but yeah it, it was great uh my nephew or my nephews uh my sister said they had enough toys so i'm like okay <laughs> well um, <laughs> i don't know what you mean to get them then if i can't get them toys and yeah it makes it makes they get to a point too where <clears throat> it gets in like in that junior high age like what do you get them at that point and you know i think with uh, all the subscriptions that they can get in terms of video games and stuff like that that seems to be the way most of those kids go they're better off your money's better spent doing those types of things as opposed to getting clothes and toys like you said sure well the oldest one just turned five okay and apparently there was a rumor out there within the family that he wanted a fish so I'm like, okay, well, I'll go to PetSmart. I'll get a fish. $37 to get a little thing, a little tank, f- food, rock, and the fish, and the pool cleaner. $37 for a little, like, $2.50 fish. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Well, just think of the commitment that you just gave your sister and your brother-in-law, though. Now they got to make sure that fish is getting fed when they're on vacation. And oh, man, yeah, but, I'm. <laughs> I'm hoping it'll it will survive, because my sister did kill a cactus, and wow. that's that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. But apparently, the fish has been a big hit. I was over there, or I gave him the fish. I don't know, two days after Christmas, and he was outside playing with all the neighborhood kids. They all just bolted over. He goes, guys, guys, I got a, I got a new pet. And everyone just staring at the fish for like 15 minutes, not moving. <laughs> like, I think the fish is dead. I'm like, no, it's not dead. It's just, it's not moving. Like they were expecting it to just start swimming in circles as fast as it could for the whole time. Start flicking the tank. I'm like, yeah. Glad you guys enjoy it. I didn't think it'd be that big of a hit. I mean, yeah, you got to be happy, but you know, pets are always kind of a dangerous gift, so to speak. And I don't mean that you know, at harming anyone, but you know, uh, it's, it's got to be a pretty strong relationship to give somebody a pet for a gift. Like we have a neighbor, um, and he said, "You goes, yeah, we got a dog. You know, our our daughter, her boyfriend, one year gave her a dog for Christmas, and he's no longer around, but the dog still is, and you know, she still lives at home. And I see him." walking the dog instead of the daughter who the gift was to. So it's like dad's dog now. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that is tricky. <laughs> but during this episode, we'll get you caught up around both conferences from this past week, as well, as well as looking ahead to this upcoming week of matchups. Also, we'll dive into some of the college basketball news as a whole. Uh, first things first, TJ, a look back at this past week of games and as we break down the games from this past week 
What stood out to you in the first round of games in the Missouri Valley Conference this past Sunday? I think it's how good Drake is. You know, he kind of wondered about their off, their non-conference schedule and uh, what what that was going to do for them. I mean, obviously they're coming in undefeated and, you know, there no, no big wins. I mean, obviously look at Kansas State just because they're a power five, but they haven't, you know, been exactly uh, setting anyone's hair on fire. But they just look really good. You know, a one-point game at half and they just take off against the Sycamores, I think to win two games on the road, especially against a quality opponent like Indiana State, is is a big deal. And then uh, Illinois State struggles, you know, losing by 30 at Loyola. I didn't, I didn't know that I thought that Illinois State would win either of those games, but I thought it'd be more competitive than that. So those are the two things that stood out to me, at least on Sunday, or I guess overall for those two days. And then uh, on Monday, the second day of conference play, was just the adjustments that uh, Ben Jacobson was able to to make. I mean, they lose a game by 20 to Missouri State on Sunday, and then they come back and they win by 10 on Monday. And really, I mean, they jump out to a 16-0 lead. It's, I think, like 13 and a half minutes. It was like six and a half, seven and a half minutes into the second or first half, excuse me, before Missouri State even scored. And I know Missouri State closed in on them, but really it never felt like Missouri State truly threatened Northern Iowa. You know, it's just Northern Iowa had great movement. Maybe they're just knocking off the rush from that big layoff they had, their COVID scare, because I think it had been, you know, two, two and a half weeks since they played before, you know, Missouri State came to visit. So those are things that stood out to me. So, how about it? Go ahead. What I saw in the Missouri Valley Conference, uh, I guess on that Sunday, I was watching, I believe it was the Drake and Indiana State game. I was really surprised on how that game ended. Like, Indiana State was in it most of the game. I think they trailed by one or two at the half. And it looked like it was a back-and-forth game most of the game. And then it was just that final, like, nine, ten minutes of the second half where Drake just kind of really stepped on the gas pedal and just kind of blew it open. So yeah, I, I was, was nine for eighteen from three point range. So anytime you can shoot fifty percent from three point range, you, you're you're living well. So yeah, and seeing you know Indiana State obviously at home for both these games, uh, you know their starting five. I think it was a really balanced game. They had four guys, I think, in double figures for the right. game. Mm-hmm. But I think it was they went to Jake Laravia a lot. And I think he just started forcing a few shots there in that second half trying to, you know, get Indiana State back in the game. And I think yeah. if he's able to hit a shot here and there, it, it breaks up that long run that Drake had. And I think the end result may have been a little bit different. Yeah, and the, the game's kind of run together for him. But I think it was that first game that Tyreek Key didn't even score in the first half for Indiana State. So you think your leading scorer doesn't, doesn't get a bucket in the first half and you're in a one-point game. If you're Indiana State, you're okay with that, I think. Oh, for sure. Uh, Also, Southern Illinois, when they knocked off Evansville, 63-57, seeing the great start that Carbondale had gotten off to, uh, I I was really impressed with Evansville to see how well they played especially in that second half you know they struggled in the first half i don't think they scored 20 points but you know they hadn't gotten off to the you know best of starts this season i mean 
I don't think the expectations were set, you know, that high for him. But they played really well against Carbondale, competitive in that first game. Then they used that game plan that they basically started to chip away with in that second half, and they carried that over into Monday. And it paid dividends. Yeah, they they shot much better on on the set in the second game than they did the first game. They were ten for twenty nine for from three in game one, and they were seventeen for twenty nine in game two. So that I mean, there, there's a huge difference. There's twenty one extra points uh, if you want to look at it that way. That they score eighty four points. I know Coach Mullins was really disappointed with uh, you know giving up that many points and as many open looks as they had. Samari Curtis, uh, the Nebraska transfer, uh, had had a breakout game, 29 points. He was six for eight from three-point range. I don't know how Coach Licklider doesn't start him this weekend coming up. I'd be really surprised if he's not starting in their next series. But on the Ohio Valley side, uh, basically the first full slate of games in in one day happened uh, last night. You had Murray State and Belmont. They were nationally televised. And I watched most of that game. And it, it was just kind of an odd game, TJ. The way Belmont got off to, they got off to a great start. They were up, I think, 10, 11 points in the first half. Next thing you know, Murray State's cut it to one. They're down 26-25 at the half. But then the second half, I, it really seemed like it was a lot more of a blowout than just the 13-point final score, 68-55, would indicate. Because you're watching the game, and it just looked like everything Belmont wanted, they got. Whereas Murray State was just, it looked like they were pressing, not the basketball term, but just trying too hard. Yeah, I I really felt like, I think see a lot of similarities between Belmont and Northern Iowa, that they almost use your pressure against you. Like, so Murray state was able to climb back in that game because they're pressuring the ball and stuff like that. All of a sudden Belmont's not doing anything fancy, but backdoor cuts for a layup. And then you have to respect the backdoor cut. They hit a three. And like you said, it's just all of a sudden they're getting what they want. And just that kind of the, the, the nerves or whatever that, you know, that squeeze a little too tight, if you will, for Murray state. Now that shot doesn't go in and it seems bigger when you feel like you're giving up easy buckets at the other end and you know, you're getting shots that aren't falling at all. Well, and as you said, like these backdoor cuts, like it again, I think we had talked about this in one of the previous episodes. Belmont did not win that game because of their three point shooting. It was basically their interior play that won them the game. Mm-hmm. And Belmont only shot twenty five percent from three point range, five of twenty. And you think any any time Belmont struggles like that against a a, a pretty good opponent like Murray State is inside the Ohio Valley Conference, you think Belmont's not winning that game. Right. Flip the script, Murray State didn't shoot good from three-point range either. They were 5 of 18, and there really wasn't a difference at the foul line. There weren't a lot of fouls in the game. Both teams went only shot 11 free throws. So there wasn't a difference there. But once the second half started, uh, Nick Muzinski and company really started to get things clicking inside and it just seemed like uh tevin brown could never really get anything going for the racers and there were a time there was a time uh i think it was late in the second half and it it was just kind of an indicate indicator that 
things just weren't going well for Murray State. I think the Racers had a had a two on one. Looked like they were going for an easy layup. Well, they tried a bounce pass. Well, Belmont picked it off, went back the other way for an easy bucket, and then it was just kind of kind of downhill from there. But moving on from yeah. moving on from that game, uh, Tennessee Tech and Coach Pelfrey they got their first win last night. They knocked off SEMO 72-63. And that's a game where if you're Tennessee Tech or you're fans of Tennessee Tech, you're not quite sure what you're going to what you're going to get. You know, they're 0-9 going into it. You know, you start to wonder how are the players gonna respond after, you know, dropping nine straight. But if you've been following their games. They've been competitive as of late. Yeah, they haven't been able to crack that win column till last night. But as each game has gone by, they've gotten more competitive, not counting the Power 5 schools they've faced, but as some of the other mid-majors they've faced, they've been getting better. And once Ohio Valley Conference play you know, has arrived, you're starting to see more and more uh, uh, continuity as a group and they're starting to it's starting to flow better and you know i I think as conference play really gets going because their non-conference schedule's over i think we'll start to see what tennessee tech's identity is because i mean you look at their schedule take away the tennessee western kentucky xavier and indiana game and they had a kind of a brutal schedule they only lost to Chattanooga by eight, who I think just suffered their first loss last night. So they're either nine or ten and one. Played solid against Northern Kentucky, and in one of the two games against Jacksonville State, they only lost by six. So you look at their upcoming schedule against Eastern Illinois, Moorhead State, Eastern Kentucky. I think we'll start to know a little bit more about what Tennessee Tech is and what they have to offer. But the one downfall of that is those next three games they're all on the road and then you have a home game against belmont it's a tough stretch for you anything you finally get off but that first one's always the tough one too you know once you get that once once you get that first one that hopefully that come a little bit easier for you but yeah they're not gonna, the schedule didn't do that many favors here but tennessee tech was led by junior clay in that game uh clay had finished the game with 22 points was great from the foul line 11 of 14 5 of 10 from the field, and was able to dish out four assists. But he did come up big on the defensive side. He had four steals. So without Junior Clay, things may have been a little bit different for Tennessee Tech in this game, as only two other players were in double figures in the game for the Golden Eagles. And again, as we had talked about last week, Simo again struggled from the foul line. Good enough for just 57%. So if you... If you struggle from the line and you turn it over 19 times, uh, you know, you're probably not going to win the game. And that's exactly what happened for SEMO uh, as they fell to Tennessee Tech, which really that was, the I think, the biggest loss SEMO's had all year as most of their losses have been in overtime or single digits or closer right. to. Or the free throws are even bigger. Yeah. Uh, another game that I was – keeping an eye on yesterday uh, eastern kentucky and eastern illinois uh yeah the colonels came away with a 69 61 win eastern kentucky improved eight and two two and one in conference play that was 
Coach Spoonauer and the Panthers' first conference game, so they're 0-1 in league play, 3-5 and overall. Uh, Eastern Illinois was coming off of a little bit of a a little bit of a downtime, if you want to, if you will. They had that game against SIU Edwardsville that was postponed due to COVID restrictions. And these were two of the teams we had talked about in the offseason that we're really excited and interested to see how their season would go as Eastern Illinois has a lot of uh a lot of senior leadership, a lot of upper-class leadership. And Eastern Kentucky, we've seen what they've done. And when we had Coach Hamilton on, you know, they play a different style unlike any other team in the OVC. And it's paid dividends to this point. But I think as Eastern Illinois gets going, I think the Panthers will be fine just with all that upper-class uh, leadership they have. But they're going to have to get some games under their belt as – you know, they're three and five, but have also probably played the toughest schedule inside the Ohio Valley when you look at their non conference play. Yeah. Eastern Illinois didn't shoot very well. Uh, you know, their leading scorer, George Dixon, I mean, he was four for 15, but he, you know, had a double double with 12 points and 15 boards. NATO's are the off- offensive end. And Shout out to uh, Max Smith that hits a three-pointer for the 89th consecutive game, which is now an NCAA record. So I thought, you know, that's that's it's a long time to go with hitting, you know, hitting a shot, much less a three-pointer in each of those games. And then there's a double-double on the other side with Trey King going, you know, 22 points and uh, 12 boards. But I think ultimately Eastern's poor shooting, Eastern Illinois' poor shooting, and their 24 turnovers are what did them in in that contest. Well, I do think it is worth noting that the Panthers were without Josiah Wallace and that's been their go-to player this year. And he's, he's the guy that makes that offense go and seeing that they were still able to, you know, be as competitive as they were on the road. I think, uh, it'll make Eastern Illinois fans a little less, uh, a little less worrisome, as the season goes forward, seeing that they were still able to play pretty competitive without one of their best players. Mm-hmm. Uh, another game that happened last night in the Ohio Valley was Austin P and Tennessee State. Austin P went on the road to Nashville, won 68-59. Austin P improved to six and three, two and one. Tennessee State dropped to one and five, and then zero oh and three inside conference play. Austin P's been had some back-to-back games that uh, I think can really help build build their season going forward. They had a nice home win over Murray State, 74-70. That was nationally televised. And that win against Murray State was a, was a gritty team effort. They were still without uh, Jordan Adams in that game. And I don't believe he played yesterday. No, he did not. So, again, another good win for Austin P. as they still battle through this injury bug with him. They had three of, their t- three of their starting five in double figures. And when you think Austin P. this year, you think, okay, Terry Taylor probably leading the way with, with the most points. He only had 11 yes- yesterday. Uh, Reginald G. led the way for Austin P. as he had 20 points, six rebounds. So if you're Coach Figure, 
and you're Austin P fans, you start to look at other guys on that team. Who's going to step up outside of Taylor? And then with Adams being hurt, and G did that against uh, Tennessee State. Now, Austin P will have to get better from the foul line. They only shot 55% at the charity stripe, 11 for 20, which as you get further into Ohio Valley play and games start to get closer and closer, you're going to have to hit your free throws or you're going to lose games that you should win. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that you know, there's nothing more to say about that. you got to hit the freebies. So other than that, Jacksonville State got a 10-point win over UT Martin. Uh, Jacksonville State improved to 3-0 and inside conference play and 7-2 and overall as they were the only other team that played a game outside of uh, conference play since our last episode, which was a win over a non-Division one school. But, yeah, and that was really the tale of two halves. I mean, uh, Jacksonville State jumps out to 45-23 halftime lead, then UT Martin kind of flips the script and, you know, outscores them 47-35, but the difference I think gets a point to is, like we've talked about already, is the free throw line. Jacksonville State goes 18 for 21 from the free throw line. You know, so you shoot almost 90% and... You know, you win a game by ten. That uh, you know, you should. You feel like you should have been one walk r- running away, but uh, that definitely makes a difference because you know, other than that, uh, you know, that that's a that's a big difference for you. So moving on from this past week's schedule, we'll look ahead to this coming week. Uh, when you look at the Missouri Valley Conference, TJ, uh, I guess the next round of games are. Slated for Saturday, January 2nd. Looks like there should be, well, I think there's two games Saturday and I think the rest play on Sunday. But when you look at right. to that weekend, is there a certain matchup that you're looking forward to on Saturday or Sunday? Well, uh, there's only three series being played this weekend because Valpo's still fighting their, their COVID stuff. And then it came out, I believe, yesterday on uh, – Tuesday the, the 30th that Bradley now has some COVID issues so they're not going to play Loyola this weekend that means oh, Bradley's right. going to go from uh, I forget what the date is it was a, did they play before Christmas maybe December 22nd they're going to go until like January was 9th that, was that the game 10th. against Missouri yeah I think it was so you know they're going to go you know a, a long stretch without playing any games there so I guess that was what the 26th or the 27th when I actually played that game. Yeah. So, but so that leaves you with uh, Northern Iowa, Evansville, and Indiana State, Missouri State. I think will be interesting to see how Indiana State adjusts. You know, they have some more film on Missouri State because I think that probably is one of the difficulties too, is that you don't have a lot of film on those guys in Missouri State bringing in so many new bodies this year, trying to figure out what they have. Um, so, you know, they're at Missouri State. So, you know, it's it's not going to be an easy climb uh, for Coach Lansing and the, the Sycamores as they go there. And then, obviously, all eyes are on Drake is seeing how uh, how long they can keep this undefeated um, streak going. Because, I mean, I think it'll be tough to see that if they can, if they don't win the league, if they, I don't know if this, the NBC is a two-bid league, even with Drake going undefeated in the non-conference. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting, especially this year. Now, maybe 
had it been a normal college basketball season and they played their full slate of non-conference games, maybe had a couple extra uh, buy games in there to see how well they would you know, fare. Yeah, they beat Kansas State. But as, as you had said, it's not like Kansas State is you know, doing any favors for themselves at this point. But right. they've done what they've needed to do. They've won the games they were expected to win, and then they won a game here and there that they weren't favored in. So, I mean, if they keep this going and they can somehow kind of like play a role that uh, Murray State was, you know, I don't know how long ago it was, eight, eight years, nine years when they went like 31-2. and two. Right. Obviously, they're not going to get that many games this year. But if they can, if they can have a record similar to that, maybe somehow sneak into the back end of the top 25 rankings if they keep winning, you know, the rest of their games. It might be possible for a two-bid league if Drake would get to the Missouri Valley Conference championship and then fall in the championship. Now, if that would be a scenario I could see maybe the Missouri Valley getting two teams in, like the Ohio Valley did, was it, I guess, two years ago? since there wasn't a tournament last year, I guess the year right. previous. That'd be that'd be a way I could see Missouri Valley getting two teams in. And I think uh, Sunday, January 3rd, could be a good test for Drake when Carbondale goes there. You know, they're going to – Carbondale's already trying to get over their loss against Evansville, and you better believe they're probably ready to go. And it's going to be a national televised game on ESPNU. So I believe a lot of people are going to be watching this game. Yeah, it'll. I think it's definitely the the marquee matchup uh, of the weekend for the Missouri Valley Conference. So outside of that one, uh, talked about the Indiana State Missouri State game, uh, Northern Iowa and the Evansville game. Uh, Northern Iowa, as we said, uh, lost by twenty to Missouri State, and then came back and won by ten. Northern Iowa's in a tough tough spot here. You know, they're, what, preseason favorites. But the injury bug has affected them more than probably any other popular mid-major program in the country. You know, seeing that they're, you know, their best player and then one of their other premier players just unable to go. Yeah, with Kimmins, uh, you know, deciding to go back home and obviously A.J. Green the reigning player of the year out with the, for the season with his uh, hip surgery. But really, uh, I think you probably saw more of what Northern Iowa was going to be this year in that second game against Missouri State. They seemed so much more balanced. And uh, Austin Fife with you know a career-high 21. Like I said, they, their, their movement without the ball was so much better. And, you know, they got some guys that can shoot, uh, you know, um, that they, I just thought they looked really impressive when I watched their game from Monday. So, I again, I think maybe they were just knocking off a little rust after not playing for a couple of weeks and then really looked good in that second game. So I, I think that's probably more of what we'll see from Northern Iowa going forward as opposed to that first game. So I would still expect that Northern Iowa should sweep this weekend, even though they are going to Evansville, even though Evansville came off of that uh, big win at Southern Illinois to kind of get the monkey off their back after losing, uh, you know, 19 straight regular season conference games. But I still like Northern Iowa. I, I think they, they almost look more 
fluid because I think there was a lot of times that we kind of sit there and wait for AJ Green to take over. And if you were in the game late, like, all right, instead of, you know, uh, getting some movement, some cutting that, okay, AJ hit a shot force, which he could do, you know, but it just seemed like there was much more flow and they were harder to guard than the days of AJ standing out there and waiting for him to create. And that's, that's not to take anything away from Green. He's a great player, but I just think your your mentality kind of changed, your uh, offensive flow changed with him in the game. I think you're exactly right. You know, they were trying to get him the ball more, force more opportunities his way instead of trying to get, you know, maybe some easier options involved just because they liked uh, – you know, they liked where he was at and they liked uh, familiarity, and that's what he was able to do. But uh, looking to the Ohio Valley side of things, the next slate of games, uh, Saturday, January 2nd, uh, Jacksonville State at SIU Edwardsville, Moorhead State, Murray State, Tennessee Tech goes to Charleston to face Eastern Illinois, Belmont and UT Martin, Eastern Kentucky at Austin P, and then Tennessee State travels to Cape to play. Semo. The game I'm most looking forward to is Eastern Kentucky and Austin P. Yeah, I had that same thought. And some are probably thinking, oh, well, yeah, I mean, they're both off to a good start. It's not even just that. It's it's seeing how fast Eastern Kentucky plays and how well they play on defense. And going up against Austin P, I think this defense will be the biggest test for especially Terry Taylor. Eastern Kentucky is so quick on defense. They're able to get to their spots, and they're able to get into the passing lanes faster than most most teams in all of college basketball. I think that could cause problems for Austin P. Yeah, Austin P's at home, but again, without having the ability to have, you know, a sellout crowd or, you know, all the students there or what have you, uh, I think this could make for a really good game for Eastern Kentucky and Austin P. I, I mean, I think it'll come down to the wire. Whoever shoots the free throws better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that's the marquee matchup. Uh, be interesting to see how Murray State bounces back as well, you know, against Moorhead State. But uh, yeah, I think that was easily the Eastern Kentucky and Austin P is easily the, the one that you most people are going to watch. Well, and you just think of the two players that come to mind in that matchup. Terry Taylor for Austin P, Trey King for Eastern Kentucky. Both have had a great start to the year and I think that's going to be a matchup the two of them where they just go back and forth. I mean, there might be a stretch where them two are just trading buckets. But I I just saw on Twitter, I believe it was I believe it was yesterday. Yeah, Eastern Kentucky has six players averaging double figures in scoring. Moreno with 10.2, Green Jr. with 10.2, Trey King 15.9, Brown has 11.8, Napper 23, and Lewis with 10. And what those six players do, that's, that's made them the only team in college basketball going into yesterday with six players averaging double figures in scoring. That's hard to do. And if you can be that balanced, it just makes you so hard to defend because you don't. it's not like you have to worry about one player or just two players. you got to worry about six. And a, right. <laughs> a lot of teams, even at the Power 5 level, can't even do that. 
Right. But when you play as fast as Eastern Kentucky does and force so many steals and turnovers on defense, you get that many more offensive opportunities to go and score the basket. But yeah, they, they definitely create, you know, their own sense of uh, their own pace and definitely dictate how you're going to play on the other side of the ball. Another game in the Ohio Valley, uh, Eastern Illinois and Tennessee Tech. I like this spot for Coach Spoonauer and the Panthers to really uh, use this game as a as a starting point going forward. You know, with all their leadership, if Josiah Wallace is back, even if he's not able to play, uh, all that veteran leadership that is still within that roster, I think they really start to see some uh, – some players start to gel together against Tennessee Tech, who hits the road for this uh, OVC matchup. Other than that, uh, Tennessee State and SEMO, uh, one of these schools is going to get a win for their first conference win of the year. Uh, Tennessee State hasn't had as many games as SEMO as they dealt with the, the COVID bug at the beginning of the season with games being canceled slash postponed. But I'm interested to see how SEMO responds after that game against Tennessee Tech. I mean, most games this year, SEMO's played uh, played down to the wire against every team except right. Tennessee Tech. That was the biggest loss they've had. All the rest have been by six points or less. You flip it over to Tennessee State side, and they're one and five, but they haven't had an easy schedule. Uh, their lone win is against a non-Division One school, but they've played Belmont twice, Chattanooga, who nine or ten and one, and then they played Austin P the other night, and their only other game was against IUPUI. So Tennessee State, I think, could be better than what their record is showing right now, but they just haven't had a good mixture of games to where you'd be able to tell what the Tigers' identity is to this point. I mean, it, any team would struggle in college basketball if your first two games of the year or first two of three games of the year against Belmont. You know, one of the premier... Yeah, it doesn't do you any favors for <laughs> sure. One of the premier mid-majors and one of the fastest teams. And, and you're telling us we have to play our first game against Belmont for a conference opponent? I mean, it, yeah, I think any school would struggle with that. Yeah, and then you know that other game against IUPUI. That was their first game of the season, if I don't, if I remember correctly, and they were on the road. So you know, two things that weren't working in your favor there. But I think as conference play gets going, um, a lot more, a lot more uh, stuff will start to come to life for a lot of different programs inside the OVC. You know, SI Erdsville. Hasn't had a lot of games. You know, they've only played one conference game to this point. And Moorhead State, really not sure what they are at this point. Because just like uh, uh, oh, Eastern Illinois, they've had a brutal non-conference schedule as well. So you can't look at their six losses and, and their losing record and say, well, yeah, they have a losing record. You know, let's not look at them right now. No, they're... They could be in this just like any other team in the Ohio Valley. So once you see a lot of these conference games start to take take flight in the Ohio Valley 
and especially the Moorhead State games, we'll be able to see what identity they have because they do have a good win over Eastern Kentucky, but then they fell that next game to SI Edwardsville. So I think it's it's going to come down to who's going to be able to be more consistent in a road environment this year. But we'll uh, we'll see as uh, time gets going, TJ. Yeah, it kind of goes back to that old adage that you know you got to protect the home court and sneak out some wins on the road and uh, see who you know it kind kind of uh, shakes things out, so to speak. So other than that, that's kind of what's ahead on the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley Conference side. But outside of that, TJ, you look at some of the news surrounding college basketball as a whole, and I think one of the main uh, one of the main headlines in the news from this past week is obviously the Arizona and the postseason ban that they, you know, went ahead and put on their own. Yeah, they did their own postseason ban after getting the uh, level one allegations, uh, you know, the all-inclusive and vague lack of institutional control charge, and then uh, saying that Sean Miller, their head coach, uh, violated head coach control responsibility, which, uh, you know, I, I really don't know what those things mean. I think there's one of those things you can apply to most anything, but they're definitely taking it seriously and hopefully thinking that if they punish themselves, that the NCAA will uh, step away and like think that that's enough. But I, I don't know, you know, there's some pretty serious allegations, you know, talking about bribes and things like that. So it'd be interesting. It's, it's not just NCAA trouble that they're having difficulties with. You know, it's uh, federal problems as well. Well, I think it all goes back to the whole situation on. Did you ever watch that? I think it was the H. It was on HBO. That documentary called The Scheme. No. Did you ever I did watch not that? See that? Well, that had a lot to do with basically the you know these FBI scandals going on inside college basketball and i'm sure some of this will probably go back to you know the arizona assistant coach uh emmanuel book richardson um i think some of this probably possibly deal with that you know you can never be sure but i think what arizona is trying to do they're trying to get out you know in front of the front of the curveball here and put the ban on themselves and hopefully that will limit the the damage that could have happened if they would have just waited around for, you know, maybe the NCA to put a ban on themselves. But you look at it now, I mean, Arizona's off to a good start this year, and they're seven and one, one and one in the Pac twelve, and they just had a basically a win over Colorado that they got done pretty easily. I think they won by almost fifteen. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this impacts the rest of their season. How you know, because we saw that in the Missouri Valley with uh, last year with Evansville and Walter McCarty. How much does this stuff get into your locker room and affect your kids and distract your coaching staff as well? Uh, it, it's not a good thing, that's for sure. So you look into the top twenty-five in college basketball. You still got Gonzaga, number one, seven and zero. Baylor is also six and zero. Uh, right behind them uh but one of the games last night that i think a lot of college basketball fans probably kept their eye on that was a game on the sec network tennessee at missouri and both teams were undefeated going into last night however 
Missouri really struggled to get any sort of offense going against basically the best defense in college basketball. I think Tennessee allows the fewest points per game as they just have a smothering defense there. And the Volunteers did just that. I think it there was eight or nine minutes already gone by in the game, and it was 21-4. to four. So Tennessee's great defense did just that against a, a team that's pretty high up inside the top 25 as of right now and held them to just four points in nearly the first 10 minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of shocking to see that Missouri's Missouri was held to just 53 points. Of course, they didn't shoot well, didn't score very well against uh, Bradley in the game we talked about earlier. So, you know, it's interesting. Is Tennessee that good or is Missouri kind of, are we, have we overrated them so far? You know, their big win over Illinois, et cetera. So uh, it's another of those things that going forward, it'll be interesting to see which direction those teams go and to before we really know what we got from last in, in those two teams, especially on Missouri side. One other area in college basketball I wanted to mention real quick. Uh, you look at what Kentucky's done, and I'm not sure if you've heard you know the quotes from Coach Calipari uh, on his scheduling thus far. You know they're one and six, and he basically said it's been the stupidest schedule that he's ever had at Kentucky or that he's put together. And so when you hear his comments like that, do you? Do you feel bad at all for him? No, not at all. I mean, you're you're. It seems like the big boys have either gone like, "Hey, we're going to schedule games we know we can win easily. We're not going to go on the road," or we schedule games that if we lose, it doesn't look bad. And he's he's chosen the latter of those two, and you know, unfortunately, it's backfired on him. You know, why not play some some solid mid majors to get? you know, some, some wins or to get some competitive games. But if he loses those games, you know, where do they stand then? I, I just, I don't know. I have trouble feeling sorry for the wealthy in this case. Well, sure. I mean, and you look at what they've done to this, this point, their only win is against Ohio Valley member, a Moorhead state, you know, start out one and oh, but then it was just kind of a brutal stretch of games, which mixed in a, game against Detroit that got postponed and I mean it's hard to feel bad for somebody that put together that kind of schedule like you knew exactly what kind of team you were going to have Uh, yeah now I do understand that some of these games are scheduled a couple years in advance but the Kentucky mindset really hasn't changed over the last you know four five six years it's Everybody knows what that program's capable of. You're going to get a lot of freshmen that come in. Then the next year, they're probably in the NBA. Right. So it's not like you're expecting to have uh, an Eastern Illinois senior-led, you know, group out there. Uh, you know, not comparing Eastern to Kentucky, but the same mindset of having all that upper-class veteran leadership. You're really not going to have that at Kentucky because it's basically a one-and-done program. Yeah. It's a diff. It's a different mindset than those of us that cheer at the uh, for schools at the mid major level, like the, the OBCs and the MBCs schools. It just I don't know. I think your connection is definitely with laundry, and not players that are coming through and, and building your program up. Like we're accustomed to watching. For sure. I oh. did uh, notice that uh, Georgia Tech 
they'd start out like Josh Pastner wasn't going to do contact drills because of the COVID scares, stuff like that. They lose their first two games, scraps that idea. They're now five and one since they did that. You know, since they went back to having contact and practice. And that was at Florida state that their, their one loss, you know, they beat North Carolina. And uh, so I don't know if this has changed their, their mindset or their mentality. Maybe, you know, you would think maybe toughness or just getting used to the physicality of the game. But I think that's an interesting stat that you went zero and two to start. And you're like, yeah, this isn't working for us. You go f- and then change your mindset, and you're five and one now. Well, for, uh, Georgia Tech. Well, and that and that also included a 17 point win over Kentucky too. Yeah, that a lot of people didn't see happening. So I, they, <laughs> it's 2020. You, you feel like you have a plan, and then you see it, you know, <laughs> falling off the rails, and just like, well, now nah, we're just going to go back to normal here and see what we can do. And and that may have been the best thing for them at this point. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare in ACC play as as that continues. Yep. But with that, TJ, that'll kind of wrap up the uh, basketball segment here. Uh, we just had Christmas here a couple days ago. So as we move, move towards a new year here in 2021 and hope and pray that it's a lot better of year than 2020 has been. Yeah, for sure. I feel like everything that could go wrong in 2020, it's happened. It's it's rained, it's poured, it's hailed. And yep. So when you look ahead to the new year here, TJ, uh, what is something that you're going to be looking forward to? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, obviously, hoping that everybody who needs and wants the vaccine uh, has access to it. We can kind of open things back up. You're talking, you know, if we can get things rolled out and the, this third vaccine is becoming available, at least uh, across the ocean, that maybe by fall we'll be back to normal. We'll start to see some things take place again. Um, you know, I'd like to travel again. You know, I see commercials for hotels and I'm like, man, that's really what I want to do. That's probably the thing I, I didn't realize I missed as much as I have is being able to travel, go see some things and spend time with the family that way. Um, so that's that's the big thing, you know. My hopes for 2021, which I'm sure are probably similar to a lot of other people. Um, but I was going to ask you: Do you, do you, or does your family have any uh, New Year's traditions and uh, things like that that you guys try to do? Maybe not as traditions, but like, hey, you know, for good luck for the new year. Uh, not really. Never, okay. never really had. Uh, you know, too many like family traditions in a way of like, what are we going to do since New Year's here, or what are we going to try and do different? Never really had anything like put in place like that. Yeah, um, I know a lot of a lot of people try and do like some New Year's resolution and stuff. Um, I know we, we've we've talked about stuff in the past, but never really said, okay, we're we're going to do this as a group. I mean, we've had our own like personal ideas and what we're going to try and do you know maybe like hit the gym or something like that but what about you well my mom has always been a big believer uh, you know it's a superstition but that you have black eyed peas on hmm. new year's day like even if it's just one she said she 
we went over there for Christmas. She had a can sitting out for us to take home. She had one for my sister as well, just to make sure. And she'll text me at some point tomorrow. Did everybody eat their black eyed peas? So we just have to break open that can and you know force the boys to eat at least one, and I'll maybe have a spoonful. And uh, she even has a recipe for a dip that maybe I should probably uh, do instead to get the boys to eat some more. But. One I came across last year, and unfortunately it was a little too late, is that there are a number of people that believe you don't do any laundry on New Year's Day. That really? The idea is that if you wash the laundry, you wash away your dreams for the, the new year. And unfortunately last year, I already had laundry going or done by the time I saw that. But you, you bet your bottom dollar that I am not doing any laundry tomorrow. I, you know, we're we're even making plans like, hey, let's get stuff washed today, or we have to wait until Saturday to get it done. So, you know, it it's you know, it's one of those things. Does it work? I don't know. But what's the risk? It's, it's one day without laundry. You know, so I'm going to give it a go. And uh, after the crappy year we had this last year with 2020, hopefully some things get turned around moving forward. So. That's a, I had not heard that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna follow suit with that. No laundry tomorrow. I have an excuse. Were you gonna do, were you gonna do laundry anyway? I mean, no, but <laughs> I have an excuse now for anybody that asks. Sorry, cat. <laughs> I've never really had an excuse on why I couldn't do it before. Now this is a good one. So, hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, I know a lot of my friends, uh, well, a lot of us, we were really hitting the gym hard there for, you know, we'd go about five days a week and then, you know, the pandemic hit our gym ended up closing. So then we had to, had to go find an alternative route for a different gym. And really since that happened, I haven't been to the gym a whole lot just because I started working a lot of overtime at work and. Uh, so hopefully, uh, I'm going to get back into the swing of things there is the one thing about the gym, like once you're in it, you just, you feel great. You feel a lot better about yourself. Like everything feels great and it's, it's no problem going like every day. But once you take a couple months off, it's like, Oh, I gotta get back into it. I'm going to start tomorrow. No, I'm going to start next week. And then you just never do it. And it's like, yep. So Hopefully, I'll yeah. get back into the swing of things there. Yeah, I think even if you, once you take that one unscheduled day off, it gets so much easier to take the next day off, the next day off. And it's just like you said, it snowballs on you. And the next thing you know, it's been two months since you've done those types of things. And I, I kind of compare it to uh, doing chores around the house. Like the thought of doing it is probably the toughest part. But once you get into doing it, it's okay. You feel pretty good about doing it. And once you're done, you're really happy you did it. Until the next day, you're like, oh, I need to do that again. <laughs> Just kind of, as long as you can get, getting started is the key. For sure. But with that, TJ, that'll kind of wrap up the episode here. Uh, for TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we roll on with episode 30 here on View of the Valleys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud, and give us a follow on Twitter at View Valley's pod. Enjoy the rest of your week and have a happy new year. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>